Lord to be here this evening. Uh, we have all been blessed with the opportunity to worship God, to thank Him for the many blessings that He richly gives each and every one of us each and every day that we are allowed to have in existence. And we, I'm sure, are appreciative to that. And that is evident by your presence tonight. Uh, there are many things that one could be doing on a Friday night. But you have chosen to do that which is most important. And that's to come and worship God, to hear his word. And that is my endeavor, that is my hope, that you will do that. And if I, by some reason, do not present his word, I hope that you will be a friend to me and point that out to me and we can sit down and discuss those things. I hope that we have conducted ourselves in such a way this day that we have glorified our God and not caused an offense to anyone uh, in any way or fashion, but that we have properly represented the great love of God that has been shared abroad through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if by chance we have offended someone, we have not conducted ourselves properly, I do hope that we'll have the sincerity of heart, the right attitude that we will make the necessary corrections that we will not be a stumbling block to anyone in this world. So we have many, many reasons to be thankful tonight. I'm appreciative of the opportunity to be here, and especially the uh, subject title, the uh, fund, uh, Foundations of Fundamentals of Faith. Uh, that is uh, very important that we deal with things that are fundamental. Uh, oftentimes, as we know, men endeavor to appear very intelligent uh, and very intellectual, and hence we see that the basics, God's word is given to us in such a way that we ought to be able to understand. And it's man that makes it convoluted and makes it confusing and gives men the idea that they cannot understand God's word and we cannot understand God's word alike. That is men. So we will hopefully show that we can understand God's word and believe it or not, we can understand God's word alike. And so we want to look at that this evening by looking at a very basic and fundamental lesson. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, when we want to note verses 25 through verse 29. Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through verse number 29. And I do hope you have your Bibles with you tonight. And uh, I love to see and, or hear rather those pages turning. And I can see that we all are equipped tonight for that re of to do what God endeavors and causes us to do. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. I think I said Luke 12, didn't I? Luke chapter 10, 25 through 29. The Bible reads, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, of course, our Lord would go on to talk to him and give him an account of a, a Samaritan, those uh, who the Jews despised, and how that Samaritan would fulfill actually the law, uh, in contrast to what the Jews there were doing. But notice how he was willing to justify himself. He was not willing to heed the simple commands and teachings of our Lord. But I want us to focus our attention in verse number 26. Because this is where we want to get the fundamental aspect of our lesson this evening. What is written in the law, how readest thou? 
As you can see, there's a way that the Bible, God has given His commands in great simplicity, but the condition of one's heart is the means by which one applies God's Word. And with the right heart, the right application will be made. But if our heart is not right, as we see here, how readest thou? The man said, well, well, who was my neighbor? He did not have the right heart. Therefore, his understanding of God's word is going to be flawed. It's going to be wrong. It's going to be erroneous. You see, it's not just the word of God, but our attitude toward the word of God that is imperative for us to obey the word of God. So how readest thou? I want to talk this evening about how does the Bible teach? I believe that's a very important question. As we can see when Jesus Christ said, How readest thou? We see, we note that there are different ways that people can understand God's word based on their attitude toward it. And we know that the Pharisees, and again this lawyer here, would be one who would know the word, but as we can see, his attitude, his heart was not right. So how readest thou? How does the Bible teach? This is a very important question. It's a question that is imperative for us to examine and to look at. Why is this an important question? If you will, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 2, you may recall the instance which God had commanded his servant Abraham to sacrifice as an offering his son Isaac. Now think about that for just a moment. We see that God commanded a man to offer his son upon an altar, upon the sacrifice. Well, there was a problem with that. Believe it or not, there was a serious problem with that. Uh, I'll tell you what, hold on for one second. I got two different slides going here. My, my apology, I didn't hit the right one. If y'all just give me one second, I apologize about that. Okay, all right. Okay, so, now God would ask or command Abraham to offer his son Isaac. Well, why is that significant? Let me ask you a question. If Now, if we see that in the Bible, and we see other passages of Scripture where that type of action, that type of, of act is condemned by God, what would we normally see? Well, we see an inconsistency. Well, based upon this being an apparent inconsistency, God's Word must not be what God affirms that it is. Well, we have to know how the Bible teaches. We have to know how the Bible teaches. We must know how God has revealed His will. For example, Genesis 22 and verse number 2, the Bible says, Then He said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell thee. Well, that's fine. And we know the New Testament tells us that's exactly what Abraham did. Well, we know that the Old Testament tells us that. But Abraham did that because he had faith in God. He believed that God was able to raise him up. But notice, Abraham did not literally actually kill Isaac, but in his mind he was carrying out the commands of God. But here's the problem. Here's a dilemma we find. Well, in other places in the Scripture, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 20 through 22, we find the prophet Ezekiel saying this about offering one's children or one's child as a sacrifice. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom ye bore to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlots a small matter that you have slain my children and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire, and that's offering them as a sacrifice. Also we find in Leviticus 18 and verse 21, And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shall you profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Now we may say, well, yeah, but those are idol gods. 
God doesn't mind you offering your children to him. Well, I present to you that's not true. I don't find an example of that. Even with the case of Abraham, uh, Abraham, remember God was testing the faith of Abraham as we find in James chapter 2. Abraham's faith was accompanied by his works of faith. And so how does the Bible read? For, for those who don't realize that and don't know that, this is an inconsistency. A reason, a justification for them to reject the word of God. But I present to you, such cannot be done. For example, in Matthew chapter 18 verse number 3. And uh, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. Now what does that mean, become as a little child? We all know children. We all have children. Most of us say we have had children. How are children, uh, how do they act? How do they behave? What are some of the things that children do? Now, if we were to look at this question, well, be like a little child, does that mean I'm supposed to be immature like a little child? You know, little children can try you. You know, there's always that moment in the, in the life of a child, in the life of a parent, specifically that of a father, that moment where you tell that child, don't you touch that. Don't you do that. And he will sit there and look at you dead in your face and do this. <laughs> you got to act on that. you got to respond. So is Jesus telling us to be like that, rebellious? Is he telling us to be immature? How is he teaching us? What is he telling us? Well, we have to know how the Bible teaches. Well, we look at other passages of Scripture, and that's one thing that we have to do. We have to look at the totality of God's Word. We have to look at everything. Now, within the context, Jesus tells us exactly what he means. He's talking about the innocence of a child. The innocence of a child. The sincerity of a child. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice, some versions may say evil, be ye children, but in understanding be ye men. In other words, in evil, you be naive. You be childlike. And so our Lord is saying, be sincere. Be innocent. Be like a child. And so we have to know how the Bible teaches. Now there's some fundamental principles that we have to consider in our question. Things that we have to know that if we're going to understand how the Bible teaches and what the Bible tells us to do, in essence what God requires that we do, what God wants us to do, there's some fundamental things that we have to understand that we have to make sure that we have a clear and concise understanding. First of all, we have to realize that man was created in the image of God. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 29. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 29. How were we created? You see, if we're going to understand how the Bible teaches, if we're going to know what we're to do in light of God's commands, what God's will is, we have to know that we were created in the image of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse number 29, note this, Lo, this only have I found. Now this is by Solomon, the preacher. And we know the, the, the life of Solomon, the activities of Solomon, how Solomon is, is revealed to us in the Bible as being an imperfect man. But notice he says, Lo, this only have I found. Now watch this, watch this. That God hath made man upright. God made man righteous. There's no inordinate sense of, 
uh, of depravity or sin in us. We were made in the image of God. But what happens? Well, man, as he becomes more accountable to his sins, he will sin against God. That's what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 3. See, Solomon says God has made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. That's man doing that. God did not create us as sinners. God did not create us as wicked and unrighteous and evil. God created us in his own image, and that's why little babies, little babies have to grow into accountability. They're not born little sinners. There's not things inherently in us that's evil. God made man in his own image, but it's man that comes up with these particular inventions, these things of evil. That's why Paul was saying in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 30, one of the things that God condemns, not just those who commit such things, but those who condone or agree with those things. And one of them is the inventors of evil things. Man does that. But that's not God. We also have to know that the Bible is meant to motivate us to choose to follow God. In other words, God is not putting us in an arm lock. God is not putting us in a headlock making us do what he wants us to do. Now, he could. He could. But God wants us to willingly and willfully follow him. He wants us to respond to the love that he has shown to us. You see, we have to know that God, through his son Jesus Christ, is motivating us to follow him. To do what he wants us to do. Turn to Romans chapter 6 with you. You can look at those verses. And I may not get to all of the verses that we have on our outline. But I do hope that you'll write them down. And go look at them at your earliest convenience. But now in Romans chapter 6. Remember the apostle Paul would write to the church at Rome. And notice what he would say about God. And his desire for us to willingly follow him. Willingly follow him. Beginning in verse number 16. Romans chapter 6. Paul says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. No, you have the power to yield yourself. God is not going to force you to do anything. And note, Paul also goes on to say, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you obeyed from the heart, and this is the heart, now biblically, you obeyed from the heart that form a pattern of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. In other words, you decided to follow God. We sing a song such as that. God does not force us. We have to know that. See, God teaches us in a way that he wants to compel us to do what he says. We have to know that the word of God is living. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is quick, living, powerful, sharpening any two-edged sword. Let me tell you what that means and how important that is. There are many people in this world who believe that the Bible is a, is a dead document. In other words, they believe it is outdated. They believe it is irrelevant. They believe that based on our time, now all those things that they were talking about, then that was back then. 
We, we don't have to worry about those things now. Yeah, God may have said some negative things about homosexuality back then. God may have said some things about, uh, uh, about the role of women and, and, and wives and mothers back then, but that, that has nothing to do with us today. Say they believe it's a dead document, but the Bible tells us that, no, it's a living word. In other words, it is applicable. It is applicable in each and every single time that we find it. Now, again, we know, we understand, hopefully, and this is a part of what the Bible teaches, that the Bible is written in as far as dispensation. In other words, there's a patriarchal age. Then we find a Mosaic age where God would reveal the law of Moses to the Jews. They were bound by that. They were bound by that. Not the Gentiles, but they were bound by that. And then there's the Christian dispensation. And yes, we don't offer animal sacrifices. Why? Wow, the New Testament tells us we don't offer animal sacrifices. No, we don't have to keep the Sabbath day as the Jews do. Why? The Bible tells us. The New Testament tells us we don't have to do that. And so there's many, but only when the Bible says no, that is not to be done now. This is what's to be done now. That's the only time we're to make that discernment and that decision. But we are not in a position to tell God that is irrelevant now. People say, oh, you don't have to be baptized. You know, God is more powerful than baptism. God's grace is far above baptism. How dare you ancient, you primitive, you fundamentalist. You Church of Christ people try to still implement baptism as being necessary for God's word. Oh, you outdated. Y'all are just so cavemen-like. Well, what does the Bible say? How has God's commands regarding how we come to Christ, how is that outdated? What other revelation is God given that tells us we don't have to do that anymore? Oh, that's right. Some people come up with a different revelation, don't they? Well, I'm here to tell you that those revelations are of men, not from God. The Word of God is living. Another important point that we have to understand and know about God's Word is God does not force understanding. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. God does not force an understanding. You see, there are those out there that if, God doesn't, if, if they don't hear some voice, if they don't hear uh, some, some, some tangible or, or physical evidence that this is true, that this is right, they're not going to believe it. But I'm here to tell you, God, God does not force an understanding. He does not force understanding. Again, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Note what the Apostle Paul said, uh, would say to the church at Thessalonica. In verse number uh, 9, beginning, I'll tell you, well, let me even start with verse uh, 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who hath letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders now watch this with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved now let's just pause for one moment look at notice how simple this is why are they not saved well, God didn't help them get understanding. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't throw an understanding and slap them across the head so they could understand. No, the Bible says because they received not a love for the truth. If you have a love for the truth, brother, you, you're going to love it. You're going to find it. If you seek, you're going to find it. If you knock, the door will be answered. If you have a love for the truth, the truth will be, will be what you love. And you know what? You're going to obey God if you love the truth. You will find that truth. 
For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned or condemned, some versions say, who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They're glorying in their own error, their own foolishness. And no, they'll never have the truth. So these are some fundamental things that we have to remember about how God has created us, how God has revealed his will, and what God expects of us from that will. God will not force us to follow him. Never has, never will. Man has been given free will, and man has to exercise that free will. Now, as far as how the Bible teaches, there are two ways, two general ways that we're going to look at today how the Bible teaches. The first way is explicitly, explicitly. Now, let's examine what that means. God teaches us explicitly. Well, now, uh, also implicitly, implicitly. Now, how, what does it mean to teach explicitly? Explicitly, implicitly. Now, from a fundamental standpoint, when we talk about things that are explicit, we are talking about things that are stated clearly, clearly, in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. Clearly. No room for confusion or doubt. This is normally set forth by what we refer to as direct commands. Well, what is a direct command, Brother Harold? Well, you see that in the patriarchal age, remember we talked about those dispensations. In the patriarchal age, the days of, 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 of Adam and, and Noah and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's what we refer to as the patriarchal age, the days of the patriarchs. God commanded men with direct commands explicitly. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. As a matter of fact, we find in the book of Genesis on the Pentateuch, as far as this period is fine, uh, uh, concerned, we find that God gives commands 54 times this way in the book of Genesis specifically. We find, for example, in Genesis 2 and verse 16, Thou shalt eat of every tree of the garden, but thou shalt not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. But then we find when the Mosaic age, or in other words, when the nation of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage by the deliverance of his servant Moses with a mighty hand, God gave explicit commands and notice how the frequency of them grew. In the Mosaic age, we can find, if we look at the Bible, specifically in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, that these explicit commands, thou shalt and thou shalt not, are used 670 times. 607 times. 607 times. 229 are in the book of Exodus, and 256 are in the book of Deuteronomy. That's a lot. Notice when God gave the law to Moses, to the children of Israel, thou shalt, thou shalt not, the frequency increased. Explicit commands. Explicit commands. Now, in the Christian dispensation, we find something very interesting here. In the Christian dispensation of the age of our Lord, we find that these direct commands or explicit commands are used only 82 times. 63 of those instances are in the gospel accounts, and 19, only 19, are in the epistles. And six of those instances are simply referring back in the epistles now, referring back 
to the Old Testament. For example, in Romans chapter 13, in verse uh, number 9, Romans 13, and verse number 9, we'll find again the frequency of these things diminishing in the New Testament. And here's what I mean by this. Again, we see how many times this was used in the Old Testament. Okay? Alright, we see how many times it's used. Look at, look at how many times these explicit commands are given. And then when we find in the New Testament, they're not using... Look, look at the difference here. Look at the difference. And what I'm saying is when those commands or those explicit commands, thou shalt and thou shalt not, is used in the New Testament, specifically in the epistles, it's actually quoting those things that were said in the Old Testament. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Paul is just reiterating what God said here. Now, of course, we know that this is from the new covenant that Jesus would establish. All right, what are we to gain by this? What's so important about this? Well, well, it's extremely important. Extremely important. See, well, let me make this point first about implicit commands. Then we'll we'll, we'll kind of kind of wrap uh, or just summarize why this is important. All right, the idea of implicit commands. What is an implicit? Implicit command. Well, that is a type of command where there's an imply is a, the command is implied though not expressly stated. It's implied, but it's not expressly stated in the sense of explicit or thou shalt and thou shalt not. Now there are two two schools of thought regarding this, and just from an historical standpoint, not trying to be fancy. But there was a man by the name of Martin Luther, a reformist, who had one extreme. And here's what he said. Any and all religious activities or beliefs are permissible and to be viewed as, a, as authorized unless, unless they are specifically forbidden in the Bible. Think about the ramifications of that. Unless God says, don't do it, you can do it. Unless God says explicitly, no, I don't want you to do that. Well, well, if he doesn't say that, you can do it. Think about what that does to worship. Does God in the New Testament explicitly say, thou shall not use mechanical instruments of music in worship to me? Does he say that explicitly? Thou shall not use the piano, the drum, the trumpet. Does he say that? No. He doesn't. So according to Martin Luther, well, if he doesn't say not to do it, guess what? You can do it. If you don't say no, it's on. Do we know people who view the Bible that way? Do we know people who do those things, who have this approach? They're probably all around you, aren't they? Okay? Now, another extreme is by a man by the name of Zurich Zwingli, another reformist. He believed that Christians may not believe or practice any religious acts unless the scriptures literally and positively teach so or explicitly state. Now people try to use this approach to nullify, literally justify themselves as we saw the lawyer do in Luke chapter 10. Uh, 10. That's what they do. Well, why, why do you do that? There's no authority. Well... Why do you have pews? Where did God say you can? You know, you're telling us we can't have mechanical instruments and music. Well, I'm saying, where does God say you can have a pew? Where does God say you can have a building? Where does God say you can have carpet? 
They're trying to take this approach to justify themselves as we said, I found that lawyer doing. In other words, he literally disavows or takes away the ability to have what we would refer to as expedience or aids. Guys, this is, these, these are expedience. Are they essentials? Are they necessary for us to preach the gospel? No. They're not necessary. What's necessary for us to preach the gospel in this room today? People with a willing heart and this right here. Those are essentials. Oh, you, we're not going to be up here worshiping God without these things. But now what about everything else? They're just experience. They're just aids. They're just aids. If this were to go out right now, we're still going to preach. If the lights were to go out, I hope you got a candle, flashlight somewhere. We're not going to leave. We're going to preach. We're going to talk about the Word of God. These things are expedience. They're not essentials. But he says, well, God didn't explicitly say you can have these things, so therefore, guess what? You can't have them. Guys, that is another erroneous way of thinking regarding God's commands. When you consider that for a moment, here, uh, uh, Martin Luther's approach, what about sprinkling and pouring? Little babies, did God explicitly say you couldn't do that? Explicitly now. But does God authorize that? Oh, no. Because what does God say? You're baptized. You're baptized. You fully immerse in the water those who believe in me. And by the way, babies can't believe. Well, God didn't say you can't baptize a baby. Yes, he did. By saying what? You baptize a believer. That's what. Well, well God didn't say we couldn't have mechanical instruments and music. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. How did he say it? He said, sing. Well, 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 God didn't explicitly tell Noah he couldn't use oak. Yes, he did. By saying he could use what? Or what's to use what? Gopher wood. What did that do? It eliminate everything else. He doesn't have to really give a list of everything you can't do. All he has to say is what you ought to do. I tell my son to go to the store. My sons are grown now, so I don't have to tell them that. But I tell one of my sons to go to the store and get some milk. And here you go. Matter of fact, now let me give him let me give him a card. You know how we do it now. Here's my card, son. Go down to the store and get a loaf, uh, get a gallon of milk. Count you need anything? Babe, we need some bread. Okay. Hey son, give a loaf of uh, gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. Mom needs some, some bread. Okay, Daddy. He goes down to the store. And I begin to wonder where my son's at. Time has elapsed. Where's he at? And remember, he has my card. And all of a sudden, my son comes back with, with, with almost a, a bag full of stuff. And, and, and I mean, not just, now he's got the milk and the bread. He has that. But he has some tennis shoes. He stopped off at the sports place. He stopped off in it. And then he comes to me and he says, you ain't tell me not to. All you said was to get milk and bread. You didn't tell me not to get tennis shoes. You didn't tell me not to get this. What do you think I'm going to say to my son? Oh, well, you know, son, you're right. God, I didn't tell you not to get them things, did I? You think that's going to be my response? Would that be your response? No, this is problems, this is trouble. I told you what to get, and when I told you what to get, that eliminated everything else. You acted without my authority, without my permission. Don't come to me with that. And we understand that with us, right? But then we tell God, well, God, I understand it with me, but now you ain't me. Really? <laughs> who's God and who's not how has God made us with the ability to understand 
Y'all think these brains up in our head, the most complex thing this world has ever seen, that we can't utilize that to obey God? He made us in his own image. Don't come to me with that. You know better than that. Now, here's what I mean by explicit and implicit. And why did God speak so much in the Old Testament explicitly and so much in the New Testament implicitly? Here's why. When you are in an infant stage or a child stage, how do we direct children? How do we direct children? Now remember, we're talking about humanity in its infant stage. In other words, as man has developed throughout time and God's revealed will has progressed with man, line upon line, here a little, there a little, as Isaiah says, God has progressed his revealed will along with humanity. Now, when you're in the early stages of God revealing his will to us, just like our children, how do we direct our children? Don't do this, do this. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. I like to use the example of taking out the garbage. Uh, that's something, that's a chore that we normally pass down to our children. Uh, for example, we take, uh, our garbage is picked up on Mondays uh, where I live. And I'll have my son, you know, I'm not going to be doing it all the time. You living in my house not doing that. You know, you live in my house, you got to, you, gotta, you know, uh, I may not charge you rent as you're growing up, but guess what? <laughs> you're going to work. Okay, so I tell my son, all right, son, I'm going to teach you how to take out the garbage. Here's what you do. Come on, come on, Rashad, little Rashad. Uh, Jamal, when I was just doing a meeting in Maryland, he was the one that was there. And boy, he got it. He caught it. Every example was about him. Everything I, I was bringing, he was like, well, I, what about my other brothers? Oh, they're not here, son. You are, so I'm going to use you every way I can. All right, so I teach Rashad. All right, son, here's what we do. We go gather all the garbage out of the house. Okay, you go in every room. You get the garbage. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, all right. Now, here, I'm doing it. He's, he, can't, he can't do it yet. He's, you know, he can't even hardly carry a garbage can. So, all right, son, after we do that, we take this. We put it in our little garbage dumpster, garbage pail. Now, where I live, we have to take it out to the road. So, all right, son, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take it out to the road, all right? And what those garbage men love for you to do is put the handles toward the road so they don't have to turn it around and all this stuff. And they have a little machine that actually picks it up from that point. So when you turn the handles out to the road, that's what they want. All right, son, they start just, and I teach them again, and I show them and give them an example of how you do it. And all of a sudden, Michelle begins to grow up. And I may not have to do as much. All right, son, you get all the garbage out of the house. Uh, yeah, Daddy, all right, let's go put in the pail. All right, you need some help carrying that garbage can up there? Yeah, Daddy, I still can't get it. All right, come on now. You got your hand on it. I'll put my hand on it. Let's, let's go on up there. All right, Rashad gets a little older. A little older. Hey, son, it's Monday now. You need to get the garbage. You need to put the garbage in the garbage pail. Get up to the road. Yes, sir. Rashad's now a teenager. Do I have to keep doing that? Or do I say, Rashad, it's Monday. That's all I got to say. Because you know what Rashad's supposed to know? It's Monday, and what does that mean? Okay, from a New Testament standpoint, we've had God's revealed will all throughout the Old Testament. The New Testament, God gives us principles more than direct commands by which we go. I remember he's trying to motivate us through the love of his son Jesus Christ to act upon his love. So God doesn't say a bunch of thou shalt and thou shalt not. God said, I love you. My son loves you. He's given his life for you. You better listen. look at what we see. You see? That, that's, that's what, that's, that's. Guys, when we start talking about, well, where's the thou shalt and thou shalt? We act like a bunch of children. We understand it, don't we? 
Even in the Old Testament when God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What Sabbath day was that? Knowing the Jewish month there's going to be what? Four. Which one were they to keep holy? He said, remember the Sabbath day. No, the Jews knew to keep all of them holy or else. Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, all priests and ready to part on the morrow, Acts 20 and verse number 7. We know which first day of the week. What well, the first day of the week? Which one? How many are in a month, generally speaking? What do we know to do? Did God have to say first, second, third, fourth? And if there's a fifth? We know what to do. That means all of them. Every last one of them. So why is it our neighbors say, well, we're going to do it on the first Sunday. We're going to do it on the fourth Sunday. See, I was there at one time in my life. Okay, we're going to do it on the fourth. We're going to do it on the third Sunday. But no, he said every first day of the week. Why? He didn't say every first day of the week. Yeah, he did say the first day of the week. That's every first day of the week. Well, I don't know about that. Well, you know, first day of the week when it comes to first Corinthians 16, when it comes to that collection. You take that up. He said upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together. Okay, in other words, as I give an order to the church of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, every one of you lay by the towards God has prospered him. Let there be no gatherings when I come. Why do you take up a collection every first day of the week? Well, God said so. He also said, remember his son's death on the first day of the week. Why is that? See, it's that collection in Who's my neighbor? See, that's all that is. You know, even in 1 Corinthians 11, just another note along those lines. It says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It doesn't say that. It says, when you do this, as oft as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It didn't say whenever. That's how people translate it again. How readest thou? Whenever we decided, that's not what he said, as often as you do it. Now the question is, if we understand how the Bible teaches, the question is, how often did they do it? That's how often we do it. Unless y'all know some different revelation somewhere. I'm not aware of it. We have to know how the Bible teaches. God tests our sincerity. He tests our love for His Word and our love for Him and our love for His will, our acceptance of His will, our realizing that He is God and we are not. We have to know how God teaches us. God is not going to strike down anybody who says, well, you know what, we're just going to do it this way. But know this. Know this, when his son, who he offered for us as a sacrifice, when he comes back, Jesus said, I'm not going to come for sin next time. I'm coming for salvation. And all are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When I come back, or you die, and you meet me, remember it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. God says, I'm not going to force you, but you well, Lord, we couldn't understand. Oh, yes, you could. You understand in every facet of your life. When it comes to you, you understand. When it comes to me, you don't care. And that's the problem. One day, we will give account. And so it is important, it is essential, it is imperative for us to know how the Bible teaches. 
Now, is that going to take some work? Oh, yeah. Is that going to take some time? You better believe it. But, man, have you ever discovered something in God's Word and you just almost were about to burst? That's the way God's Word is. It's a joy. It's a wonder. It's amazing. And when you learn, and the more you learn, the more you put that time in, the more you study, the more you do these things, you will find a joy within you, a fulfillment within you that is just unspeakable. And I'm going to tell you something else that's important. When you know how the Bible teaches, not only will you experience that, even equally as important, I'm going to say more important, equally as important, you're going to help others do it too. Other people are going to be blessed of God because you're blessed of God. Because you took the time to know how the Bible teaches. Don't go, guys, where in the Bible does God say, Oh, I want you to feel this. Where is that? Where is it? Give me, give me one verse. God said, don't feel, you know, you know, this is the heart. This is the heart. Now, do we have emotions? You better believe we have joy, we have anger, we have sadness. We have all those things. We have lust, <laughs> desires that we have to make sure is in control. Okay? But the thing about it is, we are able to know what God says. Okay? Concluding thought. Anybody know what the word one means? If I were to introduce my wife, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, who, uh, yeah this is one of my wives, uh, Countess. You think Countess knows what one means? Now, if I say this is my wife, you imply what? <laughs> That's his wife, he ain't got no more. Amen. But if I say this is one of my wives, you know what that means. She knows what that means. And I'm going to know what it means, too. Okay. We know what one means, don't we? Something costs a dollar. You give somebody a five, you expect what? Four back. You give them, it costs a dollar, you give them two, you expect what well, we know. What we know what one means. There is one way to eternal life. What does that mean? What can I imply by that? There's no other. And the Bible is the means by which I find out what that one is. I know what that one is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When I say this is the wife of Harold Carswell, you know that's the only one. If Jesus said, I am a way, a truth, a life, it would change the whole scope of Scripture. But that's not what he said. That's not what he said. So, I say that to say that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one body. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Just want to conclude. We know what one means. Why is it when it comes to God, as we've often, as we've said repeatedly, oh, I know what it means for me, but I don't know what that means for God. Well, I'm here to tell you that, 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 that God has given us the ability, the means to know exactly what he has revealed. That's what we've been talking. That's why he made us the way he did. For us to be able to understand his will and to know what that will is. In Colossians chapter 3, 
Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Now again, we could go to Ephesians chapter 1. We can see that the body is the church. He is the head of the body, head of the church, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We can turn to Ephesians 4. Again, we see that there's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, we see one God over all uh, who, who's in you. We, we know all of that. But notice in Colossians chapter 3, remember how we talked about that motivation? That motivation that God has instilled in us by offering His Son, Jesus Christ, that needs to be instilled in us. In Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse number uh, uh, 14. And I'm just going to read through I want you to, I want you to note this. Uh, let, me, let me start with verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved vows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. That's why we forgive each other, because we've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. That's why we ought to be doing it. Okay? And above all things, put on charity, some translations may say love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now watch this. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now hold up, hold up, right there. Right there. Okay? Look at Colossians chapter 1. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse number seven, uh, 16. 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now watch this, watch this, oh, watch this, hold up. Let's just pause for a moment. You know, oftentimes people pause in a play or something just for emphasis. We're going to pause for just a second. All right, let's read. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that him in him all the fullness shall dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether it be things on earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated enemies in your own mind by wicked words, yet hath he now reconciled in one body, in the body, that, what, that the means one. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable, uh, un uh, rather, in his sight. If, if, now don't, oh, that, that's a big word right there. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to you, to every creature, rather, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And I want you to go back. Now, remember in chapter 3. You see, you've been called in one body. And what are we to be because of that? See, in that one body, we've been reconciled to him. In that one body, we receive the forgiveness of sins. In that one body, he has brought all things, whether in heaven and earth, in him. See, in that one body, he who has the preeminence, that's where we are. That's where our hope is. In that, in that one body, where we need to continue in the faith, Paul says, you have been called, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you were called in one body. And here it is, be ye thankful. 
Why don't people accept the one body? Because they're not thankful. Either they don't know or they don't care. The church, that one church that Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood by which you are members, if you obeyed the gospel, it's just Paul, we just read it. We just read it. You are so blessed of God. What more do we want God to do? What, what, what else do we want Him to do? He's not going to force us to believe this, but He has compelled us to accept it and follow it and obey it and enter into it this way of Christ. That which the Bible refers to as being Christians. Members of His body. Of the Lord's church. And if you've obeyed the gospel, that's what you are. That's where you are. That's who you put your trust in. How does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches in a way that you can know and obey. If you are here today, if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. For whatever reason, you have said, I don't understand. Okay, that may be true. But now, you can have and you can gain that understanding. You can gain. Now, I'm going to tell you what it takes. As we've noted throughout this lesson, it's going to take an honest heart that accepts what God says. That, that's, that's, that's really all it takes, an honest heart. Okay? And on the start. And God will give you, open up to you the truth. Open up to you the truth. Now, here's what you have to do. The Bible says that we have to have faith in Jesus Christ. Unless we believe, Acts chapter, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 8 and verse 24, unless we believe that he is, uh, he is the one, we shall die in our sins. Unless we believe that he is the Christ, we shall die in our sins. You've got to have faith in Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We have to be willing, based upon that faith, that truth about Jesus as being the Savior of the world, the Savior of all men, we are willing to turn away from everything that is contrary to God. Yes, everything, everything, every last thing that is contrary to God, we're going to turn away from it. I'm going to tell you, for those who aren't Christians here, let, let me just be honest with you for just a moment. I don't mean any harm to my brother, but let me just be honest with you now. There are going to be people, there are going to be brethren, who have said, no, I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to do. Don't you follow that. Don't, don't let them hinder you, hinder you in doing what God says. They are out there. They pick and they choose. They decide, well, I'm going to do this, but I ain't doing that. I'm going to submit to this, but I ain't going to submit to that. Don't let them stop you from doing what's right. I'm just telling. I'm just being honest. I just try to make sure I'm not one of them. It can be easy. And I thank God for brethren who tell me when I am. Brother, you're being a hypocrite. Thank you. Let me change. Anyway. You're willing to confess Christ before men and be baptized for the remission of your sins. All of your past sins washed away. Every last one of them. Yeah, that one too. Yeah, that one. I know. I know you think it's hard, but yeah, God forgives you that one too. Then you add it to his body and you live faithfully all the days of your life. Not flawlessly. 
Okay, we are fallible creatures, but God in His infinite wisdom, His infinite grace, when we are willing to repent, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, will continue to cleanse us. And I'm not talking about just, just whenever you sin, oh, this blood. No, you have to repent. And His blood will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, as John says in 1 John chapter 1. And we live faithful. Until that day when we die, we all will come back. God, that's not the, 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 the process of that is not hard to understand. It's the application of it that presents the difficulties. But you got brethren there to help you. you got God there to help you. So if we can help you in one of those in two endeavors, we encourage you to come tonight. Do what's right as we stand and as we sing the song that was selected.